coming to you live from Canada. Here comes your game-changing, life-transforming turning point moment. Ahem. Yes, this is the sign you've been looking for. You're listening to Engage City Church. Powered by hope, not hype. Online at engagechurch.ca. Acts chapter 1, verse 8. Read, they're like, preacher, read the Bible. Acts chapter 1, verse 8. But you will receive what? Power. Oh, see, you guys are more, like, more powerful than the first service. All right. But you will receive. Wow. I, we need to try this one more time. But you will receive. When the Holy Spirit comes upon you, and you will be my witnesses, telling people about me everywhere in Jerusalem, throughout Judea, in Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. I play hide-and-seek with my son. His name is Everett. He's almost five years old. And what I love doing is playing hide-and-seek with him. But what I hate about playing hide-and-seek with him is that he loves to hide in plain sight. Like, he just, like, he thinks he's, I think he thinks he can go invisible. Like, if he just decides you can't see him then you can't see him and so like he's you know i'll be counting one and and when he's counting he's like one two three four like he's watching you go to your spot so when i'm counting i'm not cheating but i don't need to cheat because he just goes 10 feet in front of me sits on a chair and waits for me to find him and the funniest thing is he's hiding in plain sight like he's literally just around the corner you know where he is he's got three spots you rotate through and, and I still love it every time, but I think the part that I love the most about it is that as I get close to seeing him, uh, he just can't help but get so pumped up that I'm going to find him. He's like, <laughs> where are you, buddy? Where could you? <laughs> Marco? <laughs> Polo, you know. Like, I wonder where Everett, he gets, he's literally sitting on a chair right there. I'm like, I wonder where Everett could be. And he's like, ha, 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 you found me. And then we do it all over again. Kids love hiding, and they love hiding in plain sight and in the most obvious places. If Who's got a real Bible here? Anyone got a hard copy? Anyone got one? We got one, two, two. All right, well, that's like half of the ten, which is less than people. So that's great. All right. Luke chapter 9, verse 45, if you've got the YouVersion Bible app, all your notes for today are on the YouVersion Bible app. Open it up, hit the more button in the bottom right-hand corner, Look, hit Engage City Church, and all of your notes and Bible verses for today are right there for you. Isn't that exciting? Just turn to your name and say, I love technology. All right. I'm not a pro. Okay. Luke chapter 9, verse 46. If you're ready, say, I'm ready. Then his disciples, okay, hold on. I got I to gotta lay down some context for you. And we've, so we looked at Luke chapter 9 two weeks ago. Uh, and just to bring you up to speed, because I'm going to get into this, and it's not going to make sense unless I tell you all what went down. Jesus gathered his 12 disciples together in like a huddle. He's like, all right, go ahead, guys. So this is the play we're going to run. I'm going to send you out two by two to all the towns around where I'm about to go. And when you go, I want you to preach the gospel. I want you to tell them that I'm coming. Tell them about the good news. And I'm going to give you all authority to cast out all the demons and to heal all those who are sick. So how many demons did he give them authority to cast out? All. How many sicknesses did he give them the authority to heal? All. So he's like, okay, you can do all of it, and here's all the power, so go out and do all the things. So he sends out the 12 disciples, and they come back, and the Bible says they started telling Jesus about all the wonderful things that they had done. So they move on to the next thing, and Jesus is talking all day to a crowd, and there's thousands of people. The Bible says 5,000 men, which means there's fifteen to 20,000 uh, people in total because 
the men only represented the head of the household, so we can extrapolate 15 to 20,000 bodies were there. And around supper time, the disciples are like, listen, we've been on tour. We've been out ministering two by two. Jesus, I think it's time for a supper break. I think, you know, the people are tired. It's not us. It's totally the people who just are looking for some supper. You know, we need to make sure they get to the places before the sun comes down. You've been preaching for eight-hour message. It's quite long. Maybe we could just, like, take a break. Sometimes it's nice to have a break, you know, in the middle. And um, so he looks, he turns and he looks at him and he goes, okay, you feed him. Like, give me the baskets and praise the Lord, bless it. Just keep passing these out. I don't even know where they got multiple baskets from. You ever think about that? Some guy <laughs> like brought the lunch. Like, where did they get the 12 baskets from? Like, that we, they, one guy brought a basket. How how they get 12? They found 12. He's like, just pass us food out. So they just keep passing the food out. They're all like, passing the food out. Meanwhile, Jesus is like, did I not just give you all the authority? Like, you guys could have fed them, but I'm happy to do it. So. They're all just passing out the food. They get to the end, and they get so pumped because they realize Jesus provides takeout in the form of a doggy bag because there's 12 baskets left, one for each disciple. Why? Because Jesus doesn't just provide enough. Jesus always provides more than enough, more than enough. So this incredible miracle happens, and then, and, uh, and then more crazy things happen. Jesus is like, hey, Peter, James, John, uh, your brothers, come with me. We're going to walk up a mountain. They go up to the mountain. Guess what? Jesus starts glowing, which if you've ever seen a human being start glowing, it's a little freaky. I haven't. I'm just extrapolating. I assume it's terrifying. Jesus starts glowing, and then (laughs) Moses, yo, (laughs) Elijah. So it's Peter, James, John, Jesus, Moses, Elijah, glowing, hanging out. Peter's like, listen, we can sell tickets to this thing. Let's build some shelters. This is a good thing. This is a good thing for the people to know that Jesus is alive. And John's like, this isn't about, you're not thinking about Jesus. You're thinking about cash. He's like, somebody's got to pay the bills. So Peter, James, and John are up on the top of the mountain with Elijah, Jesus, and Moses having an incredible encounter. Their lives are uh, Change, transform. I mean, could you imagine? These are your childhood heroes. You've heard about these people passed down from generation. Elijah, this guy's like incredible prophet. You're going to ask him some questions. You're like, well, how did you call that fire down? That was sick. So they come down from the mountain, and a man comes running up to Jesus and goes, listen, Jesus, your disciples, they were on tour, but they kind of dropped the ball. They couldn't heal my son. He's possessed by a devil, and it throws him down. He has seizures. He foams at the mouth. And if he's near an open fire, it tries to throw him into the fire to kill him. Trying to snuff out his life, snuff out his destiny. Your disciples here tried. They could not do it. Jesus, how long must I be with you, wicked and faithless people? And you think he's talking to the man in the crowd. No, he's talking to his disciples. He's talking to the boys. He's like, guys. I'm entrusting everything to you. How long do I have to be with you? I gave you all the power and all the authority. And in that moment that seems like a failure, Jesus turns it around and makes it a teachable moment. Because he goes, these kind require prayer and fasting. And he teaches them in that moment. The people, the Bible says, were, were so caught up in the awe of the moment. They were so caught up 
in the spectacular that Jesus then took that opportunity to speak significantly into the life of the disciples. This is where we are. Turn to somebody and say, the, devil, the disciples screwed up. They failed hard. They, they screwed up, and Jesus had to clean up their mess. So this is where we pick it up in Luke chapter 9, verse 46. If you're ready, say, I'm ready. Wow, thanks, Greg. Okay, turn to somebody else, your second choice, and say, disciples screwed up. Second choice, all right. Then his disciples, are you ready? There we go. Then his disciples in verse 46. <laughs> yeah, Peter's ready. Then his disciples began arguing about which one of them was the greatest. So they just botched it, almost ruined a life because they told Jesus all the good things that they did. They just forgot to tell Jesus about the things that they didn't do, the things that they didn't get done. Their disappointment, they hid it, and they held on to it, and they used it to propel them forward. But instead of telling Jesus who could have taught them the significance, they decided to hold it back. Jesus had to come and fix out the mess. He had to clean up the mess that the disciples made because the disciples chose to hold on to it. The truth is, you and I do the exact same thing. We find ourselves in a moment where, where we, we extend ourselves in faith. We think we're doing what God wants to do. In fact, we know that we're doing what God wants to do, but it doesn't turn out the way that we expected or assumed that it should. And so we take that disappointment, we hold on to it, and it becomes this, this baggage and bitterness inside of us. And we get mad at God. We said, you didn't do what you said you were going to do. You didn't come through the way you were going to. You didn't heal the way you said you were going to heal. But the truth is, instead of holding on to that hurt, you bring it to Jesus, and Jesus makes it a teachable moment because it wasn't meant to just be a failure for the, fake of for the sake of failing. It was a failure or a disappointment so that Jesus could help you understand that you were called to another level, that it's time for you to level up, that it's time for you to walk into your future, and that requires some pain and some heartache. It's not all going to be easy, but if you take the step and you walk forward, Jesus is always going to teach you how to make it to the next season, make it to the next breakthrough, make it to the next level. Most of us get bothered down, we get stuck and we get trapped because we go to our disappointment and we stop at the level of our disappointment. But God's not the God of disappointment. God is the God of promises. And he says, I'm going to teach you how to overcome this obstacle. This kind requires firm fasting. You're going to have to come at it in a different way. We don't get stunned by the spectacular. We wait and we listen for the significance so that Jesus can speak right into our heart, right into our life, and move us forward, up, over, and around the obstacle that is in front of us. So you can choose to roll with the baggage on your back. You can choose to be bitter. You can choose to be hurt. You can be, choose to be angry at God. Or you can choose to move forward. That's the only choice here. All right, sorry, back to the Bible. The disciples in verse 46 began arguing about which one was the greatest. But Jesus knew their thoughts. He's like, you guys. He brought a little child to his side, and he said, anyone who welcomes a little child like this on my behalf welcomes me. Anyone who welcomes me also welcomes my Father who sent me. Whoever is the least among you is the greatest. 
guys are arguing about who's the greatest, and you can't even cast a demon out, and then you're so wowed by the moment I could actually do it that you forgot to ask me how I did it, and all I want to do is keep Stop arguing about who's the greatest. No, we're not there yet. Stop arguing about who's the greatest. But the disciples keep on going. Verse 49, John said to Jesus, Master, we saw someone using your name to cast out demons, but we told him to stop because he's not in our group. Jesus said, don't stop him. Anyone who is not against you is for you. Um, Jesus, he didn't have the team jacket on, and he did it in your, so let me get this straight. He went in my name, used my power and authority, which you probably would need permission from me to do, uh, used the, my power and my authority to cast out a demon, to set somebody free, to heal the sick, and you were just worried because they're not a part of this group. That's right, Jesus Christ, there's 12 of us, and 12 of us by choice, you called us by name. deep sigh from Jesus Christ because listen guys the whole point is not that we're strictly exclusive the whole point is that we're strictly inclusive that all who call on the name of the Lord may be saved the purpose is not that it's us for and no more that we, hey you know where I go I go to engage city church and if you don't heal people in the name of Jesus Christ and you wear the engage city church sweep hope not hope looks good on you bomber jacket then you can't even do it if you don't have the car decal on your vehicle then I don't even know if you're saved. <laughs> so the disciples argue about who's the greatest, and then lives are being changed and transformed, but they're not in the posse, and so they try and shut that down, but that's not where they stop because they just keep ramping it up because they're dumb. Verse 51, as the time drew, drew near for him to ascend to heaven, Jesus resolutely set out for Jerusalem, which I think he just like started walking faster. I'm resolutely walking toward Jerusalem. He sent messengers ahead to a Samaritan village to prepare for his arrival, but the people of the village did not welcome Jesus because he was on his way to Jerusalem. When James and John saw this, they said to Jesus, Lord, they said this in a matter-of-fact voice, Lord, should we call down fire from heaven to burn them up? Lord, they're not welcoming us here. They closed the Chick-fil-A on Sunday. Should we call down fire from heaven to burn them up? We got, like, we can. We're ready. Lord, they wouldn't give us a hotel room. Should we just call down fire from heaven to burn them into a million pieces? Now, this is, this is James and John who are doing this. And, I mean, these guys have a bit of a reputation. Mark chapter 3, Jesus is calling out his disciples, and he, so this is the list, and I'll, you'll see what I mean very quickly, um, but Mark chapter 3, verse 16, these are the 12 he chose, this is the crew that they were trying to shut down anyone else, so the first Jesus chose Simon, whom he later named Peter, then, here we go, James and John, the sons of Zebedee, but Jesus nicknamed them the sons of thunder, sons of thunder. Have you ever gotten a nickname from somebody where you think it was awesome until you realize that they're just using it to make fun of you? Ever got one of those? No? Um, I'm not going to name any names. I'm going to say that maybe one or two of us have picked up one of these along the way where you thought, guys, this is the greatest nickname. I'm like rolling in and like I, I'm awesome. They say my name like, yo. And I'm like, yeah, that's my name. And then you realize the joke's been on you the entire time. They're using it to mock you. And I'm not going to say that Jesus was mocking James and John. 
because I think that there's more to it than that. But, I mean, Sons of Thunder, the name came from somewhere. I mean, they come by, honestly, they're, they're big, they're brash, they had big bravado. They're like, yeah, we're going to make we're gonna make some change, and if you don't accept us in your hometown, we're going to blow you up in balls of fire. But they were also a part of Jesus' inner circle, right? It was Peter, James, and John, the only three that went with Jesus up onto the Mount of Transfiguration, where Moses, Elijah showed up. Not an accident that James and John just decided to call down fire because don't you think they would have talked to Elijah, their hero, their biblical scriptural hero, who is known for what? Calling down fire from heaven? Weren't, don't you think that maybe they're like, hey, Elijah, just wondering, how did you do the fire raining down thing? Just give me some tips on the fire from heaven because we want to try the fire from heaven thing. That is awesome, bro. I mean, Sons of Thunder... Get some fire rolling, fire and thunder. Um, it sounds like, uh, never mind. I was going to make a joke about charismatic, hyper-charismatic ministries, fireandthunderministries.com. Anyways, doesn't matter. No, it would be, though, with those guys. So fire and thunder, like, Elijah, how do we do it? Now, here's what I have to appreciate about the Sons of Thunder. Here's what I have to appreciate about the Sons of Thunder, right, is that they actually took the Bible at its word. So most of us passively read this Bible, and we go, oh, that's such a nice story. Feels so good when I read it. And then we, we read the fire thing. We're like, how come God is mean in the Old Testament and nice in the New Testament? And we ask ourselves all these questions. And then when you're reading it, it starts convicting. You're like, how come the Bible just tells me what to do all the time? So we look at this book more as like something that condemns us than something that gives us life. But I got to give some credit to James and John because they're like, listen, these guys are calling down fire from heaven. And then they have an incredible experience when Elijah's right there. And they're like, okay, this book isn't just stories anymore. This book is real life. And if Elijah's here, we need to ask him how to do the fire thing because we want to do the fire thing because God is so real that if he put it in the book, he put it there for a reason and maybe he wants us to read it. They literally took it at its word. Now, I'm not saying you're going to have an experience with Elijah glowing your living room. I am saying that the Spirit of God is active and alive today, the Holy Spirit, the same. So this is how it worked. I didn't even do this in the first service. This is how it worked in the Old Testament. The Holy Spirit would literally fall upon a prophet, and that prophet would get the fullness of the power and the presence of God, and then they would perform these incredible, miraculous things, and God would speak to them like, uh, Elisha, the guy who came after Elijah, uh, armies would get mad and they thought they would have spies in the camp because every time they came up with a plan to attack Israel, Elisha, God would speak to him and he says, okay, here's the whole plan. He'd walk over to the king, put the little chess pieces on the big map of battle, say, this is exactly what they're going to do. This is every strategy that's going to unfold. So none of their enemies could ever get an advantage because God always gave his people the advantage. God is always giving you the advantage, by the way. If you're willing to listen, if you have ears to hear and eyes to see, God is actually going to give you the advantage because he's already won. I don't care if you PVR'd the game. Here's the score. You already won. So in the Old Testament, the presence of God was manifested entirely on one person, a prophet of God. In the New Testament, when Jesus dies, is resurrected again, resurrected by that same Holy Spirit power, the same power that conquered the grave, he says, now I'm going to send one, the gift, the Holy Spirit for all, so that all of us might live with the same 
power that conquered the grave inside of us. Meaning, the same power and authority that Elijah walked in to call down heaven to earth, you now have in your possession. That's crazy. Jesus just trusted you with, like, the Manhattan Project. Like, you know, like the nuclear box that the President of the United States carries around? That only he gets the codes to? You have the codes. He gave you all of that power, all of that authority, all of that is you. James and John at least seized the opportunity. They're like, hey, listen, we understand the power and the authority that we're walking in because we, we know that Jesus said it's true. We talked to Elijah. We got a few tips on how to burn stuff up. Now just let us do it, Jesus. Just let it. Just let us burn it to the ground. Burn it to the ground. You're like, what does this have to do with Can I tell you that your rough edges, your past, your background, none of that is keeping you at a distance from Jesus? None of those things are keeping you away from him? None of those things are stopping him from using you? You are. He's not afraid of your rough exterior. He's not afraid of your past. He's not afraid of your background. He's not afraid of your propensity to destroy things and want to call down fire. He's not afraid of that. But you are. You're afraid of who you are. You're afraid that if God knew who you really were, that he wouldn't want to actually use you. You're afraid that your past is brighter and burns brighter in your life than your future ever could. And so you step back. You know, oh, he can't, he can't, he can't use, he can't use me. The Bible says Jesus just turned to the sons of thunder and rebuked them. He's like, no, we're not burning it down. Go to the next town. But this is what he does in the next chapter in, in, in Luke chapter 10, verse 1. The Lord now chose 72 other disciples and sent them ahead in pairs to all the towns and places he visited, or planned to visit. These were his instructions to them. The harvest is great, but the workers are few. So pray to the Lord who is in charge of the harvest and ask him to send more workers into the fields. Here's what Jesus did. <laughs> Instead of, like, if I was in charge of the disciples, I think I would retire them. Like, okay, guys, you're nuts. You're crazy. I've got one guy who's going to deny me three times, and he's supposed to lead this whole movement into the next future. I've got one guy who's going to betray me with a kiss and sell me out for 30 pieces. I've got the sons of thunder who want to blow everything out. Thomas barely believes a word that I'm saying. Like, let's just, you know, if it was up to me, I'd just retire them all and find a new bunch. There's only 12 of them. you got to be able to find 12 others. What about those other guys who are doing things in my name? I'll just find those guys. But see, when Jesus looks at them, he doesn't see where they are right now. He sees what he created them to be. You see, when Jesus looks at you, he doesn't see how you are right now. He sees you who he created you to be. So he's not afraid of your rough edges or your background or your, your sparkling personality. He's not afraid of you wanting to call down fire or something. In fact, what Jesus does is he doubles down and sends them right back out. Why? Because Jesus isn't afraid to turn and look at you in the face and says, Brendan, stop doing that. Stop being so crazy. Except what our human condition has taught us to do or what our North American Christianity has taught us is, well, if somebody says that or if Jesus talks to me like that or if my leader or my pastor talks to me like that, I'm just going to quit everything and go cry because that's abuse. No, what that is, 
what that is, is Jesus calling the gold out of you. He sees what's inside of you, and he needs you to learn so that you can move to the next level. Your disappointment or your correction is not your failure or your end. It's the beginning. You only discipline your child because you love and you care about them so they don't get hurt, right? Hey, son, it's a great idea. Throw your hand on the stove. It's cool. It's totally cool. Your pain's going to be totally worth it. No, you don't do that. You love them and you say, stop doing it. But our whole society is based on, if you tell me to stop, then I'm just going to quit. No, I told you to stop because you're going to hurt yourself and hurt others because you're going to say, hey, guys, I played this fun game where we all just go put our hands on the stove. So Jesus corrects us because he loves us. And here's the crazy thing. A lot of times he doesn't even do it through people. He speaks it right to you. You know. You know how how he speaks? Jesus speaks in crazy ways. He speaks through this book. You read this whole thing about the calling fire down on people. Like, that's really funny. I asked God uh, to bring that guy by my office so I could punch his face in. That's kind of like raining down fire. What did Jesus do with those disciples? Oh, he rebuked them strongly, which means he told them to stop. Maybe Jesus told me to stop. Man, maybe I shouldn't want to punch people's face in. But I was doing it because I, they did a bad thing and I wanted to correct them. But that's Jesus using this to correct you. Maybe he uses the Bible. Maybe he does it through other people in your life, like your mom. Your mom always corrects you, right? Maybe your mom's the voice of God half the time. She's the only one you listen to anyways, right? But maybe it's your boss. You're like, yeah, but my boss is the devil. Yeah, well, you're still a rough person, and God still needs to work on you, so he'll use that terrible boss to shape you and mold you. God speaks in all kinds of ways. It's just like, and if you don't listen, he has to do crazier things to get your attention. Why? Because you're choosing not to listen. You're forcing him to raise his game. I'm so far off of where I'm supposed to be. That's fine. Jesus isn't afraid of you. Jesus isn't afraid of the process. You're afraid of the process. But I like the crazy things that I do. Jesus likes some of them too, but some of the other ones, not so much. Why? Because they're holding you back. They're not propelling you forward. Why do you want to hold on to anything that's holding you back when you see Jesus held forward? Jesus isn't afraid of the process. We are. more section of scripture really quick. Luke chapter 9 verse 57. I'm going to read it out of this one. <laughs> See, this is what I'm talking about here. It's pregnant. It's ready to go. As they were walking along, someone said to Jesus, I will follow you wherever you go. Jesus replied, foxes have dens to live in birds have nests, but the Son of Man has no place to even lay his head. Meaning, it's nice that you want to come with me, but you want to come with me in the moments when I'm feeding 20,000 people. You want to come with me in the moments when people are healing the sick. You don't want to come with me in the moment when I get to a town and they won't even give me a place to sleep because they don't like what I represent. And I've got no place to even lay my head. So do you really want to come with me? That's what that means. 
like, but Jesus, you can say no to disciples. I'm not saying no to disciples. Jesus is saying you just need to be aware that life isn't going to be as nice and peachy rosy as you want. You always want the highlights, but I'm, I'm going to tell you that there's a whole behind the scenes that you know nothing of. Next one. He said to another person, come follow me. And the man agreed. He's like, okay, I'm in. Yeah, Jesus, I'm in. Five. Lord, first let me return home and bury my father. This is what Jesus says. Let the spiritually dead bury their own dead. Your duty is to go and preach about the kingdom of God. Jesus, that's a little harsh. Verse 61, to another one he says, uh, yeah, yes, Lord, I will follow you. But first, let me say goodbye to my family. Jesus told this man, anyone who puts a hand to the plow and then looks back is not fit for the kingdom of God. Three people come up to him. Try and follow him, and he's like, no, this is, I don't know if you want to get into this. The one that jars me that sometimes I just want to skip over and read is when when Jesus talked to the guy about the funeral thing. And he's like, Jesus, you know what, Lord, I'm here to follow you. I just, I'm going to need some time to go to this funeral. And Jesus is like, no, they can bury themselves. Don't you think that's a little harsh? I kind of, like, I like the New Testament Jesus. He just seems so nice and healing and stuff. Why would he say that to that guy? He's clearly he's mourning. What we don't know or we don't we don't understand is that there's actually a Jewish tradition that after you put somebody in a tomb and you close it up, you seal it off, you let their body decompose. And then about a year later, you go to the tomb and you'd have another little service where you flesh up all their bones. After all this gross stuff is gone, even though I think it's good for the mess. You put it in a box and you put it on a shelf till later. You know, just because you want to have grandma in your living room. She's always with it. This process can take up to a year. I mean, it takes a while for a body to decompose. I don't know that firsthand, but I'm told that. So what this guy was actually saying was, yes, Lord. But first, uh, I want to follow you, uh, but... We're kind of just waiting for this decomp- this decomposition to happen. You know, I'm probably looking at a seven to nine month timeline here. And uh, once I've kind of done that, uh, then I'm going to take the bones out, put it in a box, put it on a shelf, then come and join you for sure. After the seven to nine months has passed, I'll catch up with you. I'm definitely going to follow you. Yes, Lord, but first, just let me handle this business. Now, Jesus knew about this tradition. He wasn't naive. But what, what, what was fun about this little fact is that Jesus acknowledged that this wasn't a tradition and there was no spiritual power in it. The spiritual power was in following Jesus. So he said, all you're doing is fronting, bro. I call this principle, yes, Lord, but first. This is how it works in real life. Yes, Lord, I hear you. You tell me that I should talk to Desiree. Say that she had a, you've got a great plan and a great future for her. And you say all these really great things that you've told me about her. But here's the thing. It's a little awkward. I'm kind of doing a talk right now. And people are listening. And uh, you know what? I've got about a few minutes left until I'm done. I'm just going to wait. And I'll just take care of that later. Yes, Lord. But first, let me do my own thing first. Oh, Yeah, I understand that you're probably telling me this right now because there's this divine timeline attached to it. But you know what's more important than the divine timeline? My timeline. Yes, Lord, but first. Yes, Lord, but first. 
Oh, you've called me to be a musician. That's amazing, Lord. Thank you. I'm going to be a shooting star on the next show. Jesus is going to probably wear hats like this. It's incredible. It's going to be the greatest. You've called me to this. It's incredible. Oh, you want me to practice. Practice? I ain't know about that practice. No, no. You, you need to practice your craft. Develop the gift that God gave you. God gave you a gift. Yeah, but God, I don't got time for practice. I need to be. I'm a shooting star. I need to be out with the people, not in my room practicing. No, no. God gave you a gift so you could develop it, so you could mold it, and you could craft it, and you could use it at your highest potential and the highest ability. Not so that you could be a shooting star and be with your people. If you don't know how to play the guitar, you're not going to have any people. Oh, but the process is so hard. That's right. That's what I said earlier. Jesus isn't afraid of the process. We are. Yes, Lord, but no. Lord, but no. Not yet. Yes, Lord, but no. Here's what I love. And I just plead this on for one person. So the son, the Sons of Thunder, incredible guys, funny nickname. James, one of the Sons of Thunder, was the first apostle to die. Acts chapter 12. First one to die first person to give his life in the name of Jesus. First to die. Exception being Judas. But he died for other reasons. First one. First one to die in the name of Jesus. Acts chapter 12. John was the last one. The apostle John goes from being known as a son of thunder. End of his life. You know what everyone else called him? The Apostle of Love. Beginning, Son of Thunder. The end, Apostle of Love. Beginning, Son of Thunder, fire. End, Apostle of Love. Why? Because there's a journey and there's a transformation that happens. And what happens is God uses that thunder to not only make a lot of noise, but to love loud and to love big and to love strong and to love courageously so that instead of just noise, the only thing that oozes out of him is the love of God. And he makes it very clear and very known that he loves you and he's going he's gonna to reach you with the love of Jesus. He, God uses that process and that journey to draw the very thing that he put inside of you out of you. It's just like playing hide and go seek. God put your destiny in front of you and it's hiding in plain sight. It's hiding in plain sight. God doesn't see you as you are right now. He sees you as he created you to be. He doesn't, he's not, not worried about your mess. You're worried about your mess. You've got to follow Jesus to find yourself. Matthew 16, 25 says, for whoever wants to save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life because of me will find it. We lose ourselves to find ourselves. We lose ourselves in the love of Jesus to find ourselves. It's hiding in plain sight. It's hiding in plain sight. Who you are is hiding in plain sight. Finally, stand.
invite everybody in the room to bow your heads and close your eyes. You've been listening to The Engaged Life, powered by Engaged City Church. If you like what you heard, check out engagechurch.ca.